his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. There's been no shortage of mass shooting incidents here in Chicago and across the nation, but we're going to focus on the city, where last weekend there were seven people killed by gunfire and more than four dozen wounded. There are parts of the city, as Mayor Lori Lightfoot herself said last week, that are in despair. With people, mostly young men, on the streets with nothing to do, no jobs or real prospects, and with little investment from government or businesses. Well, this weekend, we're going to look at one way to address the problems head-on with jobs and more. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. talk about a program we examined about a year ago and see how it's doing now. It's called Ready Chicago and it's part of the Heartland Alliance. Ready stands for Rapid Employment and Development Initiative. And yes, they're spelling ready with an I in this case. And I had to go look up that acronym, too. Uh, the idea of the Ready program is to connect people in danger of being involved in gun violence with jobs. Now, that's not as easy as it sounds. And frankly, it doesn't sound easy at all. Which brings us to Eddie Bocanegra. He's the senior director of Ready Chicago. Mr. Bocanegra has master's and bachelor's degrees in social work, and he's worked for years with community-based organizations and programs. He was part of the City of Chicago's Commission for a Safer Chicago and a board member of the Community Renewal Society. He was executive director of the YMCA of Chicago. Eddie Bocanegra, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me here, Craig. Um, Let's first talk about what Ready Chicago does, and I understand also that your uh, program has reached an important milestone. It has. We have, one of our milestones was to reach reach 500 men into what we call the transitional job aspect of our program uh, in which they take up the jobs. And we had a a milestone for, we wanted to meet meet that goal by the end of June, and we actually accomplished that goal by the first week of May of this year, 2019. Well, congratulations. Now, explain what Ready Chicago really is. So Ready Chicago is an innovative response to gun violence. Uh, it's um, connecting people most at risk of gun violence involvement with employment in paid transitional jobs, cognitive behavior therapy, and supportive services to help them create a viable path and opportunities for different uh, for a different future. Uh, and ultimately, it's to help reduce violence in our city, uh, particularly in communities that are mostly impacted by this issue. And you're talking about people who uh, are at risk for being involved in gun violence. That's not just on the side of people who might be victims of it. Uh, You're also looking at people who might be prone to want to pick up a gun. Absolutely. So there was a study uh, just a few years ago by ICJA in which they looked at individuals that were incarcerated. And often we kind of put people who've been victims of violence in one bucket and offenders or perpetrators of violence in another bucket. But what this study has concluded that often they're the same people. So the people that we are serving in British Chicago, and there are stats and facts that we could support this now with, even with our own participants are actually people who have been victims of violence. And in many cases are more likely to be perpetrators of violence. Many of our men, in fact, uh, on average 
Uh, our participants in our program have between 17 and 18 arrests, four of them being felony convictions, and uh, a little bit over 60% of the men in our program, and I mean by men, 18 and older, uh, have done prison time. So think about that for just a minute in terms of who it is that we're serving. Yeah, and when you think about that, the, the very first question is, how do you actually get people who've been that close to violence on one side or the other to be interested in an organized program with jobs? Yeah, so there's a there's a misconception, first and foremost, Craig, that um, people some people believe that individuals who are the drivers of violence uh, don't necessarily want to be included into the community or don't care for jobs. And I could tell you that originally we were we had a a goal of 400 people into these jobs, uh, and early on, the first four to five months, we realized that the take up rates for individuals who were interested in these jobs far surpassed the uh, the resources that we actually had at the time. Um, but then the other part that I wanna I wanted to share around this is that often we think that this population uh, who are, who's often marginalized. Um, are self-selecting, right, to be excluded from community. But the truth is that we, uh, as residents, exclude them uh, in many ways. And so the men that we're working with come to us in three different ways. And by by come to us, actually the, the reality is that we are going to them and we are meeting them where they're at, engaging them where they're at, and then bring them into the program. And there's kind of a, a threefold to it. So one way that the men come to us or that we reach out to the men is by uh, what we call community referrals. So we've been able to partner with several organizations like UCAN, Longdale Christian Legal Center, uh, the Institute for Nonviolence, Heart Alliance Outreach, and these four street-level organizations that em- engage people in the streets, they have enough intel to realize who is more likely to be a victim or a perpetrator of violence. Like they see these guys very frequently running around with guns with crowds that are more likely to be involved uh, in in violence. And so they engage them, uh, they build a relationship with them, but on the spot, they're able to offer them a job. So historically, uh, we would tell people, hey, you need to get out the gang or you need to put your gun down. But but in reality, we never had something to give back to them, right? To kind of trade or exchange uh, from one thing to the other. And with Ready Chicago, what's unique about it is that on that spot, that outreach worker is able to tell them, hey, I have a job for you. In fact, not only do I have a job for you, but I also recognize there's other issues that you're grappling with, like housing, for example, and, and substance abuse and legal services. Like we could provide some of those, those resources for you. The other pathway in, in which individuals come to us is through our partnership with the Department of Correction, um, the, uh, the Sheriff's Office. And so many of our men in our program uh, are currently on parole, uh, particularly for violent offenses. And then we also have a partnership with the sheriff's office in which many of our participants are also in electronic monitoring. So there's another way that people come to us. And then finally, and this is perhaps uh, a very unique way in which we engage individuals, is that several years ago, two or three years ago, um, Superintendent Eddie Johnson um, publicly announced that he believed that between two to 5,000 individuals were the drivers of violence in our city. Well, we think of Ready Chicago as the intervention that is actually reaching out to those two to 5,000 individuals. So we use police data, hospital data, 
through the University of Chicago's crime lab to help identify individuals who are at the highest risk of gun involvement. And we get a, we get a picture ID pretty much of them, a profile picture. We get the last points of arrest. And then outreach really are creative in the way they use social media to find these individuals that are kind of plain detectives. Uh, they use their social networks. They use other participants to be able to locate these individuals and find them. There's so many stories that I could share with you in terms of like even their reaction once we do find them as well. And one of the things I, I think people who are listening to this may wonder is, is this not in some ways risky for the outreach people? I mean, you're, you're literally walking into uh, what some people would describe as war zones looking for these people. You know, ironically, many of the people who are doing this level of work, whether it's street outreach engagement, conflict mediations, um, you know, individuals who are providing skill sets for this particular population, uh, they're not necessarily always seen as first responders. But the truth is, every incident that we have, every time there's a shooting, every time there's a homicide, it is our street outreach staff that are actually uh, there, you know, aside, along the, the residents of the community in trying to support the community and trying to support the victim's family or the victim himself and uh, trying to really mitigate some of those conflicts. And I think that often that gets overlooked. And I think in part of the reason why it gets overlooked, because predominantly the people who are doing this work come from the same communities that we're serving. Often they're black and um, they're uh, um, African-American, uh, black and Hispanic, you know, uh, staff. And these are individuals that a large percentage of them have been victims or offenders of violence themselves. Maybe they're individuals who've gone through the criminal justice system. And because of that, I think often society overlooks their contribution to this level of work. Mm, no, not, not at all. Not at all. I, they've been getting a lot more. I mean, the people who do that kind of work have been getting more attention. But I want to bring you back to something that you uh, offered just a moment ago in that. Talk about what happens when one of your outreach workers goes up to someone who has been involved in violence and says, I got a better deal for you. Yeah. So, Craig, uh, I'll pull a couple couple vignettes. Uh, there's there's a, a, a gentleman um, in Inglewood who described uh, he had a piece of paper with the picture ID, last points of arrest, and uh, because our outreach is so creative, they realized one of our uh, outreach managers, uh, Maurice, over in North Lawndale, was able to use the, um, the kiosk at the county buildings to look up the names and to see when their next court date, if they had a next court date, which most cases they do, mm-hmm. uh, was, was, was next and what location. So this particular individual over in uh, Inglewood went to the court date. I mean, went to the court. He had this date, went there, and uh, he's got this picture ID. He's looking around. He identifies the man, and uh, he kind of got right behind him in one of the seats, tapped him on the side. Uh, the young man looked up and asked him, like, who are you? He's like, yeah, I've been looking for you. And, of course, the young man looked at him, <laughs> and he said, "I don't." by the way, he's like, oh, man, are you the police? And he's like, no, even better. I actually, I know I work for Heart Alliance. I'm a outreach worker and I have a job for you. And of course the guy didn't really believe him and left him the information. He's like, hey, I've been looking for you for three months already. And um, so that participant has been actually with us 
since early February, right? And somebody who's been consistent. Now he's still fighting his pending case, uh, but that's the story for me that's successful that this guy had no idea that somebody was looking for him for months. There's another um, another case in North Lawndale um, where uh, one of our supervisors there, Shanika, was going out to the community. Uh, it was an afternoon, and she went to the door. She knocked. Uh, a lady comes out, and, and she's like, who are you? And she introduces herself, introduces the program, and she's like, well, the guy you're looking for is actually not here. And, and um, you know, shortly after, the, actually the guy did look out the window, and he's like, hey, what do you want? And he's like, she introduced herself, like, my name is so-and-so, and he's like, I got a job for you. The gentleman didn't believe her, but reluctantly they let her in, and uh, from that point on, they she sold the program, and again, here's another success story for us that he was able to engage. Now, I wouldn't be able to tell you specifically where he's at with the program, but he's someone who actually started the program with us. And let me uh, ask the next question that I think would be in the minds of people. What kind of jobs are we talking about? So, to date, we've had a little bit over 540 participants take up the transitional job aspect of the program with a couple hundred who just for different reasons uh, decided not to participate in that part of the program. Um, every single person who starts off at Ready Chicago begin their work in, uh, with a project called uh, Community Revitalization. Ultimately, what that means is that for the first few months, and it's dependent on the participants' uh, ability to make some, some benchmarks, they go out to the community, they work in crews of 10, they work with the crew chief, sometimes two crew chiefs, and they are going to specific parts of the city in which city aldermen have requested some support, for example. Uh, we also work with the park district. So there's some certain parks that we will go in there and help clean up. So ultimately what they're doing is cleaning up. Um, and while for some people it might feel, well, what's, what's that? You know, like it doesn't take a lot of skills. Many of our men have never had a job to begin with. So it's an opportunity for us to assess as well where they're at, where they're taking instructions, where are they at, where particular core competencies and so on. So that is the primary uh, starting point for a lot of our participants. However, uh, in time, uh, depending on how many hours of kind of behavior therapy they're able to uh, receive uh, or, or accomplish, uh, depending on their attendance and punctuation, uh, depending on their incident reports, right? They're able to move up to different stages. Now, there's four stages. Ultimately, the fourth stage is, is an opportunity for them where they're able to get from point A to point B on their own, and they're being placed in companies that potentially could, would be hiring them as well. So we have company you know, partners like Freeman Seating, for example, uh, Chicago Animal Care. Um, there's an array of other companies that we've been working with to help not only build their, their competency skills, but other opportunities for employment. You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore. My guest is Eddie Bocanegra. He is the senior director of the Ready Chicago program. Uh, when you are working with uh, either institutional, like the animal control people, or, or any corporate uh, Freeman Seating, which is making seating for, uh, see what, CTA buses I'm taking and trains? Yep. Uh, what gets a company to the point of being comfortable enough to have someone who may not just be an you know an ex offender, but somebody who you know is pretty known to you know is has acknowledged that yeah they carried a gun 
or that they had been shot. Yeah. That's a very powerful question, Craig. And I think it's one that I'm hoping your audience could uh, really tune in to some of the facts, right? So the first and foremost, there's a misconception that people with criminal backgrounds don't want to work. In fact, there's research that supports that in many cases, the most loyal, you know, employees. And when organizations are facing high turnovers, you know, this is one way that you could actually cut some of that cost. 95% of those that are in prison will be released uh, at some point and they will be returning home. And in most cases, they'll be coming to uh, cities like Chicago, for example, and specifically to particular communities. Um, it typically costs Illinois taxpayers about roughly $26,000, $27,000 to incarcerate someone. And yet the return of investment is very little to none. But in some cases, not in all, but there's an estimation that about 26% of those who actually are being released from prison are actually coming back home with a specific skill, either because they might have had one already or because they were able to learn a specific trade. Again, in the state of Illinois, we're very limited what kind of trades people are actually learning in the prison system. That's an area, different conversation that we need to really think about and, and invest in. But people are being released from prison with some level uh, of, uh, of skills. The problem is that often those skills are, are obsolete with manufacturing companies and so on. So we don't necessarily tap into those, those resources. Um, I could tell you right now that there is a growing interest of many corporations in our city of how to hire people with criminal backgrounds. Um, in fact, Chase Bank, which is one of our partners, I would say they're they're one of our pioneers in terms of like how to bring corporate uh, corporations to the table to really think about how do we include them into the into the hiring process, into our diversity, right? Because when companies are are you know shouting about how diverse they are, we could devise diverse we could define diversity in many many ways, but but ultimately, um, if we have in the state of Illinois several million people who have felony convictions, they are part of the workforce. And so I think it's a responsibility for us to think about how do we include them. Now, luckily, there are some companies right now, like Freeman Seating, who see the interest there and see their commitment to the city in terms of reducing violence. And at the same time, thinking about the risks they're taking because they also see there's a profitable gain behind that as well, right? And, and so I think that the more facts that we're able to clarify and put out there, I think the more willingness that companies will be will be interested in doing so. And I think lastly, you know, um, the other challenge around this, and this is another thing that Heartland Alliance is actually doing with an initiative called Onboard Chicago, is for companies who are interested in hiring people with, with backgrounds, they're also, there's a learning curve because how you supervise and manage somebody who's done five years, 10 years, 20 years in prison has to be slightly different than the way you manage someone who's never been exposed to chronic violence or the prison system. Um, and I think those are some cultural competency skills that we also need to just continue to build. And not only with corporations, but even at the government level, even in a nonprofit level. Those are spaces that I would say in, in my profession, uh, I see gaps in. I you know I've uh, talked to, uh, you know, we, there are programs that have similar goals, if not the similar style uh, to this one. And I talked to one out in the suburbs and I actually got to talk to a manufacturer who 
pointed out that the uh, the ex-offenders that he had on his uh, team were the ones who would come in when it was raining or snowing, and he found out one of his employees had a you know had like an hour and a half bus ride to to get to work, and that when the bus wasn't running or didn't run when it should have, he walked. Yeah, and he found that out and decided, okay, I'm going to help this guy buy a car. Yeah. So, so I think some employers are starting to realize that. Um, but like you say, there's a learning curve on both sides. Right. Talk about how the support services for Ready Chicago start to factor in to the employee's life. And at what point does it come in or at what point does he, he reach out? Yeah. So I, I would say, Craig, it's kind of a twofold, right? I think um, through Ready Chicago, our participants, which in many cases have, have never had a, you know, a job, and in other cases, uh, they haven't been able to have a steady job. And a lot of times has to do with the way they um, manage conflict at the workspace, for example, right? Or uh, the fact that they weren't as reliable as the employer would have wanted to. You know, like I said, you know, even in our program, um, we don't terminate people when they're late to our program. We don't terminate people if they miss two or three days out that week. We recognize that these individuals are still grappling with some some real challenges, particularly this this population when they've been exposed to chronic trauma, chronic violence, and all the science in the world tells us that it has an impact on their brain. We're learning more about the PTSD and how we leverage what we learn about veterans with this population as well and so on. And so I think that as we are looking at science to help inform the, our strategy of how to mitigate some of those challenges, uh, we need to share those lessons learned with some of our corporate partners. But here's what I would also say. One, one of many ways that we help our participants is through kind of behavioral therapy, CBT. We believe that if you are able to modify some of their behaviors and address some of the root causes as, as to why individuals um, you know, react a specific way, then therefore, coupled by some basic skill sets and competencies, uh, they could last much longer with an employer. Can you give me an example? I mean, what, what kind of behavior would cognitive behavior therapy uh, work to change? Well, let me give you a couple of examples here, Craig. So early on, right, um, this initiative has been been what I would consider um, disrupting the way that we do social services, particularly with this population. I would argue there's not many organizations doing this kind of work. Um, and, and part of the lessons learned early on for a lot of our partners, including us, is that, you know, here we are, They these individuals that I'm referring to these participants, right? They are employers of Heart Alliance. So we took a very bold mo a, a step, right? To say, hey, not only are they going to be participants, but they're going to be employees of ours. And so in doing so, we also take the risk and never uh, in a number of different things. Now, one thing that I would say behind this is that the men in the program, when they first started, they were impulsive in many cases. They didn't see the end goal. And so uh, so some left for two weeks, a month, two months. And some left to take another job. 
because another friend saw an effort and like, hey, actually, I got another job for you and so on. So a couple weeks later, a month later, they come back. Why? Because they got fired. Why did they get fired? Because they couldn't show up on time because they couldn't sustain a job. They couldn't follow instructions, which is why the kind of behavior therapy is really essential because what that does is really prepare our men, right, by filtering and talking through some of these real scenarios of how to mitigate some of these challenges. Like, in other words, what triggers an individual to say, F this, or I quit, or I'm going to pick up a gun and shoot this person, right? Like, what triggers that? And the CBT allows individuals to really explore that. Uh, and it's a it's in a way where it's, it's done with peers. So each one is kind of building off each other. Uh, and there's a lot of research that demonstrates that this is effective. We've done it, you know, research that's been done with the BAM program here in Chicago, a mentoring program for young people in, in high schools and, and grammar schools, but also with those who've been in the prison system as well. So with the few minutes we have left, where does the program go from this point on? You've got the 500 you were aiming for. Does it sustain at 500 and yeah. some leave and some come in? And this is transitional uh, employment therapy. Transition to what is the other question? Well, there's kind of a twofold, right? Transition <laughs> One is transition to a safer community, tra transition to a point in the lives of these men where they don't feel they have to pick up a gun uh, and harm someone else. Um, this is a transition for individuals who, uh, who are perhaps in some cases more advanced, uh, to place them into a full-time employment, a real career pathway. And for those who are still grappling, you know, it's, it's our responsibility, uh, and our due, you know, part of our due diligence is to provide them other support systems, whether it's individual therapy, uh, or other kind of social services that continues in this pathway of, of, uh, of bettering themselves. Uh, in terms of what's next, you know, right now we are heavily dependent on the private sector. We have some amazing organizations and some corporations who are financially supporting our program. And it's a very expensive program. I was going to ask how much it is. Well, it's expensive in the eyes of some, but I always, I always like saying expensive compared to what? Because I just finished mentioning that on average, it's about $26,000, $27,000 to incarcerate someone with very little to no return of investment, Right. And it's actually about more like um, $37,000, $38,000 if you want to include uh, employee benefits of, of many of the people who are, you know, prison guards and so on. So it's a lot more expensive to actually incarcerate somebody than, than to support someone. On average, the cost of already participants between twenty-two dollars and $23,000. Um, but the return of investment, I would say, would be much, high, much, much higher. Right now, the program is being evaluated through the University of Chicago's Crime Lab. You know, we still are about another year and a half or two to see some more of those positive, you know, or results of the program. But anecdotally, I could tell you, Craig, that we see progress in the men, in the lives of these men. We see it in so many ways. We just had a young man in North London who completed the program. The second day uh, after he just graduated from the program, he was in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, making about $60,000 a year. Hmm. He's someone who had multiple gun cases, and he's one of the very first people that are being placed. We have somebody now also working driving uh, forklifts at Wrigley Field and in other companies as well. So there's we're starting to see some of those positive gains. Yet. Now, the challenge is it doesn't stop there. Those individuals, we, we designed the program for an additional six months of support because we also know that progress is not linear. Mm. 
Um, have you had, and just very quickly, have you had any people come back and want to help other people? Oh, we have plenty of people who are, who are now being inspired to do outreach work or become a crew chief or a coach, uh, case manager, so to speak. Um, we have many of them. And Craig, I would just say this behind that. As we expose them to different jobs, we are expanding their horizons about opportunities and employment opportunities. Many of the men never saw themselves being able to work at the park district. Many of the men never saw themselves working at a farm. Many of the men never saw themselves doing construction work or outreach work, right? So I strongly believe that the more that we expose them, um, the more opportunities they would have. Well, thank you. That's going to be the final word. That is Eddie Bocanegra, the uh, senior director of Ready Chicago, and he's with the Heartland Alliance as well. Thanks for spending this time with us. Thank you, Craig. Good to see you again. To our listeners, if you would like a copy of this program or just to hear it again, please visit our website. That's WBBMNewsRadio.com. You can also find our podcast on Radio.com. I'll be back next week with another edition of At Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone.